I was just thinking, you know, I ran the 5K yesterday, and then when you get here today, whenever you see someone who was there yesterday, the first question is, how do you feel? <laughs> so I feel okay. My legs are still working, so that's, that's a good sign. <sighs> so, well, thank you for letting me be here to speak on Palm Sunday. You know, last year, Patrick spoke on Palm Sunday. And I just want you to know that I did not listen to his message, take all of his best points, and recycle them as my own. I would not do that. That would be wrong. I did not do that. <laughs> Actually, no, I didn't do that. So uh, anything that sounds like what he may have said last week is completely coincidental. Um, so I titled my message, His Love Among Us. And um, that comes from 1 John Ah, okay. And that comes from 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And there's a couple ideas in this one verse about why Jesus came. The first one, the most important one, is salvation. He came to die on the cross for our sins that we might live, that we might have eternal life through him. Friday is, is Good Friday. We're going to celebrate that, his death and then his resurrection, conquering sin and death. So first and foremost, he came to give us life, eternal life. But the, th the second thing I want to focus on is his love among us. He came to the earth to be an example of what love looks like among us. Um, God sent his son into our midst as an example of how we should live and love through him and using him as an example of how to love. So I want to look at that. I want to look at some of the instances where Jesus loved people and what we can take from that. And the first one I'm going to do is Palm Sunday. So we're going to look at the triumphant processional. It's in all four Gospels, but for today I'd like to turn to Luke. So if you could turn to Luke 19... Verses, uh, ver starting in verse 35. I'll give you a second to get there. Um, in, and I'll give you a little background. In preparation for the triumphant processional, uh, Jesus sent two of his disciples into a nearby village to find a colt and a donkey. He told them that he, they would find, find them, that he, they would take them, and if anyone asked, he would say, the Lord needs them. So they went, they found them, Someone said, what are you doing? Why are you taking this colt and this donkey? And they said, the Lord needs them. So they took them, brought them back to Jesus. We are going to pick it up again in Luke 19.35. Let's uh, pick it up there. They brought it, the colt, to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Amen. Let, let's pray. 
Lord God, we just thank you for this day, this Palm Sunday, where we can learn about how you loved people, how you showed your love, how, God, how you gave us Jesus, that we might understand his love among us and how we can be an example of Jesus' love. We pray that you would just open up our ears and our hearts to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so he's coming down. They're cheering. In Matthew, there's a similar passage where um, the crowd went ahead of him. This is from Matthew 21.9. The crowd went ahead of him, and those that had followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So, so they are chanting and they are exalting. This is a triumphant procession, a parade, if you will, <laughs> celebrating Jesus' coming. Now, we in New England, we know a little something about parades. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reese, my eldest son, is 17. In his lifetime, he has been alive, or almost alive. He was eight and a half months pregnant, my wife was. And, yeah, my wife was. Um, and he has, there have been 12 championship parades. There have been three championship parades since I spoke here last. That was in October. October. In February. Yeah, we all remember that. That, that one is from uh, Disney. They went to Disney. But, uh, yeah, we, we know a little thing about parades. And really, a lot of that is on our nature. We love to lift people up in sports, in music, in movies. We, it is our nature to get you know, caught up in hero worship, celebrating famous people. That's something that we do. That's, you know, there's a whole, the industry is ripe with it. And now we're going to talk about the procession for Jesus. Jesus is really the only one who is worthy of our praise. He is the only one that's worthy to be honored and glorified and raised up. So let's take a look at, what I want to look at is, so they are cheering him. He's coming in. There is a crowd around them. They're, they're so loud that the Pharisees are telling them, shush, shush. Um, and then look at what happens in Luke. I want, I want, to, want you to see Jesus' response to all of this. Jesus, uh, Luke 19, 41 to 42. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I think it's interesting. All four Gospels have the triumphant processional. Only Luke has this scene of Jesus weeping. I mean, I picture the, proce the procession. It's, it's a mile and a half long. So it came from Bethany down to Jerusalem. They have been cheering him. They have been exalting him. They have been singing and rejoicing. He comes up over the hill and sees the city of Jerusalem. This is the actual view if you're at the Mount of Olives today, looking over at Jerusalem. He sees this. I'm a visual learner, so I just love this view. This is what he sees. And Jesus wept. He's being exalted, yet he weeps. And Albert Barnes, who's an American pastor in the 1800s, it's the 
Barnes' commentary. He describes the moment this way. Amid all his prosperity, that's Jesus's, all the acclamations of the multitude, the heart of the Redeemer of the world was turned from the tokens of rejoicing to the miseries about to come on a guilty people. He, he's not caught up in all of the pomp and circumstance, the pageantry. His heart is on Jerusalem in the midst of all that. He's a guilty people. Think of these are the people who are going to turn his temple into a den of robbers. These are the people who are going to hand him over the Romans to be beaten. These are the people who are going to call for his execution. This is his heart. He's, he knows all this is coming, and he's, his love is for the city of Jerusalem. Interestingly, today in Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, so similar to where this picture was taken, there is a chapel called the Chapel of Dominus Flevit. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it, it translates to the Lord wept. And it, it's hard to tell, but on each of the edges of the temple, there are four stone jugs. And these represent tear jugs in which tears of mourners would be collected in a, at a Jewish funeral. This I just found really interesting. I, I, I had to use that. But it, it reminded me of a different funeral and a different time when Jesus wept. Does anybody know the other time it says in the Bible that Jesus wept? Lazarus. That's, that's right. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all the Bible. It's, he, it was right before, yes, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And I always thought that scene was interesting because the way I think of it is Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He, he knows it. He knows he's going to do it. Yet he weeps. And you know, the part of me that thinks, well, why are you going to weep? Because you know you're going to raise him from the dead. Everyone's going to be ecstatic. You're going to do this miraculous thing. And then I looked at the, passage, the bigger passage, and that was John 11.35. In John 11.5, it has this verse. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved them. His heart, he loved these people, and they were hurting and he was showing his love, his love among them. And that's, when someone is hurting, that's how you show your love. You're, you're, you empathize with their pain and you weep. That's where Jesus' heart is, it's on others. Despite the pageantry, his heart is on others. Despite what he knows he's gonna do, his heart is on others. His love and compassion for others is contrary to the situation, what we expect. You know, we expect to get wrapped up in the, the procession, the people cheering. That's not how he is. His love is unconditional. He loves Jerusalem, despite what's going to happen. The hindsight, we have hindsight. We know he's going to be handed over, executed, um, handed. And, but like Lazarus, we know that's gonna, he knows that's going to happen. But he loves the city of Jerusalem anyway. Jerusalem... And the Israelites are his chosen people, God's chosen people. He has always loved them, and that's not going to change. That's what God's love is. It does not change. And the other place that this is evident is at the cross. 
So if you could turn to Luke 23, still in Luke, we're going to look at a moment on the cross. And just so you know, I am jumping to the cross to Good Friday. You all still have to come on Friday. Um, this does not get you out of coming to Good Friday service. Um, yeah, it doesn't count. You got to come. Um, but we're going to take a look at another moment of the cross. This is from Luke 23, starting in verse 33. We've read the, I think we've read this many times. Luke 22, 23, 33. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Again, it's interesting. I think we all know that verse. Only Luke has that verse. The, all four Gospels obviously have the crucifixion, but only Luke has Jesus' prayer. And we've read that prayer many times, but I, I just want to for a second focus on the context. I think we gloss over the line right before that. They crucified him. We forget, I think, that the, in the midst of this prayer, he is in unbelievable pain. The crucifixion was probably the most painful, punishing way to execute someone. Um, I don't think we can overemphasize how much pain Jesus was going through. Um, I know uh, the, the closest I can come as an example is I get migraines sometimes. Though I am not comparing migraines to the crucifixion, but I know when I get migraines, I get wiped out. I am no good to anyone. I just, I have to sleep them off. That's the only way, and that's the only way I can get through them. Um, so Jesus, in the midst of more pain than I can imagine, that any of us could imagine, he prayed. That was his first reaction. That was his greatest inclination at the time. The youth group kids will know what that means. <laughs> Ask them later. They should be able to tell you that was from, from uh, Wednesday. Um, in the midst of more pain than I can imagine, he prayed. Um, someone said this about that moment, that Jesus' prayer is one of complete unselfishness. He is concerned with the people who are responsible for crucifying him and asking God to forgive them. Instead of thinking of himself and his own needs, he is thinking of those whose souls are in much greater peril than his own. At his last extremity, Jesus loves. The people who are responsible for crucifying him, the soldiers who nailed him up there, the Pharisees who handed him over, the crowd that chanted for him to be crucified, Pontius Pilate, and us. It's our sin that has him up there on the cross. He's dying, he's freely dying on the cross for our sins. Despite the pain and exhaustion, he's praying for you and for me. I um, have been privileged to be part of special family prayer. Uh, we have it every Sunday, uh, Saturday, uh, one, once a month every Saturday. Uh, once a month on Saturdays. It's actually this coming Saturday. So if, I just want to, say that that's still going on this Saturday if you would like to come at 10 o'clock. Um, now, we pray for friends and family that we love who are struggling, 
could be physical pain, could be you know, spiritual pain. But prayer is one of the ways that we show love. It's one of the ways that Jesus is showing love. His love among us is to pray for people who are crucifying him in the midst of that. And I think what we can see from these two examples is that he is loving people who are not guaranteed to love him back. The people who were chanting for him to be crucified may not end up loving him back. Jerusalem, with all the ways that the city had forsaken God, he still loves them and is weeping for them. Jesus' love is not based on a worldly idea called reciprocity. Reciprocity is the I scratch your back, you scratch mine, the give and take of our society. Um, we give something to get something. That is how our society works. You know, if I'm, if I'm nice to you, it must be because I want something out of you. Literally, the Latin for reciprocity means moving backwards and forwards. And you can see from this picture that you know, there's two arrows going in either direction. Like a seesaw, I guess. Jesus' love isn't like that. His love is like a waterfall. Now, I'm sorry if you have the Chris Tomlin song in your head now. I, I, um, yeah, yeah. I'll just try to push that to the side for the second. But this is, this is how Jesus' love is. It is um, it pouring out. It is absolute. It goes in one direction. And it is complete. And that is his love for us. And to demonstrate that, to, we're going to, I started in 1 John 4. I'd like to turn to 1 John 4 now. If you could turn to 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. We've looked at, again, some examples of how Jesus loved. And now we're going to see why. The passage is called God's Love and Ours. So this is 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. One of my favorite verses is uh, verse, uh, 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It makes it very clear that God's love was not because we loved him. That would be a reciprocity. We love God, he loves us back. That is, that's not how God's love operates. He loved us first, he loved us best, he loved us fully, and his love does not change. God's love does not change. He does not love more or less depending on whether or not we love him back. 
Um, the idea of this is, a word, is something called agape love. This is heavenly love. This is God's love for us. And the definition that I found of this that I really liked is that agape love embraces a universal, unconditional love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance. I like that part. Regardless of circumstance. And that is hard for us. I can freely admit that much of how we act and how we love is dependent on circumstance. Whether we get it in return, how we're feeling that day. Am I having a bad day at work when I come home? Did I get my coffee in the morning? <laughs> um, did my wife say something this morning that set me off? She did not. She did not. I would like to say she did not. <laughs> um, but there's things like that. It, our love for others fluctuates depending on our circumstance. With, I would say, an exception, I was reading about reciprocal love, and two things. One, there has to be some sort of recipro reciprocation. Um, love relationships don't work if it's just going one way. Um, if you just love someone and they don't love you back, that's not sustainable. But one of the examples that I found that, that kind of went in the face of this is parental love. Parents are going to love their kids, and that kind of love is as close to, regardless of circumstance, as we will have on this earth. We're all human, and we do mess up with that, you know. If our kid breaks something, we will yell at them and get angry, but um, we still love them. And we don't need for them to love us back. We want them to love us back. Reese and Garrett, we want you to love us back. <laughs> um, but, but, it's, but we're going to love them anyway. And you know, when we, that's a good example of God's love. God is our heavenly father. He's created us. We are his children. We, he has known us from conception. And he is a loving parent. We use that analogy, but it's true. And it is unconditional. So I want to make two points based on what we've talked about, the love of God, the agape love of God. Two things. I, I don't want to suggest that because God's love is unconditional and does not require reciprocity, that we are not required to respond. We are absolutely required to respond. We talk about having a relationship with God, and as I've said, a relationship, a love relationship, there has to be a two-way street. And the two-way street is not from God to us. That has already been accomplished. He has poured out his love. He has expressed it completely. It is now on us to respond. And the best example of this is from Matthew 22. You don't have to turn there, but it's it is Matthew 22, 37 to 38. Jesus is talking about the greatest commandment. And the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
God is asking exactly what he show, it demonstrates to us. He has demonstrated his complete, unconditional love. He has poured it all out. And he's asking for that as a response to us. You know, all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And that is hard for us to imagine as humans that we can do that, but that is what he asks for. So, and that's what a love relationship with God looks like. So, and uh, um, Annie said it, you know, if you haven't made that decision to love him back, he has poured out his love upon you. So if you have not responded, please do. You know, we, it, it's simple. It's just speaking to him and saying, God, I understand how much you love me. And I want to express that. I want this to be a relationship where I love you back. So that's the first piece, that we have to respond. The second piece, though, is in the midst of 1 John 4, and when this is, is all this, you know, not this, God is love, God has shown us his love among us, but in the midst of that, the point of that whole passage is loving others. If you look at 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 1 John 4.11, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here's the hard part. God asks us to love one another. And he also says he's shown us his love among us in Jesus. And he is expecting us to love people like he loves without expecting anything in return, to just love people. And that can be hard. That can be the hard part, again, because we want love in return. We want some sort of validation that what we're doing, you know, what we're doing for people is, is, is coming back on us. But in honesty, that's not guaranteed. Um, it, it says in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever means there are people who will believe, but there are people who won't. It's not guaranteed. But it doesn't change how he, again, how he loves us. And it shouldn't change, again, how we love other people. We can just love people. And to give you an encouragement, um, I want to go to Jeremiah 31. You don't have to turn there. You don't have to turn there. I've got the verse. I found this verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. It's interesting. When I was looking for a slide, a lot of them have the I have loved you with an everlasting love. It was harder to find ones that had the second part. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. And that was the part that I really wanted to focus on, is the if you love people, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do the unfailing part because we're humans and we fail. And I'm not, 
going to do the everlasting part because we're humans and we, we mess up. But if we love people, if we're kind, that will draw people in. And Charles Spurgeon had a quote <laughs> that the master magnet of the gospel is not fear, but love. And we talked, we sang, uh, stand in your love. Fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in your love. The, the, it's not fear, it's the love of the gospel that draws people as a magnet to him. And that is the kind of love that we need to show. If we show love through um, the kindnesses we show, through um, being generous, being helpful, through prayer, through tears, the way that we show love to others, that genuine love, without asking anything in return, will draw people. Um, I think of the festival. We put on a festival of hope um, every summer. And, and people come. And yes, some come for the free food. Some come for the free games. Some come for the free prizes. But you know what? Some come because they are loved. They see the smiling faces. They can go to the prayer tent and get prayer. They, you know, we walk around, we interact with people, we ask them how they're doing. We, you know, we sit with them as they're eating just to, to get to know them, get to under, you know, just to, to love them. We talk about how the festival, we are trying to love the community. We are just opening up our um, green meadow, which we have been blessed with, as an opportunity to love people. People are drawn every year. And here's the thing. When they're drawn here, it gives us an opportunity to share the gospel. We get to do a presentation. I was involved in the presentation, the, uh, the puppet show, the, uh, the message to the kids. And it's geared towards the kids, it is. But it's an opportunity to explain why we're loving, why we're putting all of this on, why it's all free and that we're not asking anything of anyone who comes. And we get to tell them it's because of Jesus. It's because Jesus first loved us. Not that, again, we loved him, but he loved us. And he is, again, our example. He is, it's his love among us that we get to show. And now, his love among us is all of us. We are the opportunity to share the gospel, to show his love, to be an example of God's love. And ultimately, as it says in 1 John 4, love comes from God. Our goal is to draw people, not to us, not to us. It's nothing that we have done. It's nothing that we have deserved. But it gives us an opportunity to say, yeah, I've been loved. I've been loved by God. And let me tell you about that. That's how we show his love among us. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we, we don't understand your love for us because we understand ourselves. But nevertheless, it's not because we loved you, but it's because you absolutely loved us that you sent your son to show us his, your love among us, 
that you sent your son first and foremost to die on the cross for our sins, that he would be raised from the dead to conquer sin and death, that, that you so loved the world that you did that. So God, I would encourage anyone here who has not responded to that love, who has not said, I, I understand how much you love me, and I want this to be a relationship. I want this to be the two-way street. I need to add the other street coming back to you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. As, as much as I can understand that right now, God, um, I need, to, I need to do that. I need to step out and love you back. If that's you, I just encourage you to, to do that here today, just to, just to tell him, yes, I love you back, and to start a relationship with Jesus. And for those of us who have made that commitment, um, it's, still, it's still a daily struggle to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, God. But we pray you'd help us to do that. And we pray you would help us to love others like you loved us without asking anything in return, to just be an example of Jesus' love, the love that doesn't ask anything in return, just pours out our love. And that understanding, God, that that will bring people to you. It will open people's eyes and, and start a, a relationship where we can say, I love you and here is why, because Jesus first loved us. Help us to be that heart of the people in our lives, in the people at our works, at our homes, in our communities, God, that they will ask first and foremost, where does the love that you have come from? And we can say it's because of Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.